Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence, for your faithfulness, for your love, for the way you have uh, stepped in uh, to this broken and rebellious world. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Make, make your word alive in our hearts. Make me a faithful messenger for this good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. It's a random Saturday night in the Wisdom House. It's not college football season. The Astros aren't playing. My beautiful, long-suffering wife of 40 Something a year's is sitting beside me. I am flipping channels between, and I think we have a visual, Molly B's Polka Party on the Rural Farm Delivery Network and Mother Angelica and her cadre of nuns praying the rosary on EWTN. Diana, for some strange, inexplicable reason, is not happy with my stewardship of the remote control. But in my defense, Molly B, let's get her up again, is a virtuoso, a talented multi-instrumentalist, and at that certain moment in time, we happened to catch her making musical magic, squeezing out polka tunes on her accordion while spry Midwestern septuagenarians bust out their best polka moves for the camera. That's good television. <laughs> and on the other channel, because I'm going back and forth, <clears throat> The nuns are praying, blessed is the fruit of your womb. I mean, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. There's beautiful power in that ancient declaration of a core historical fact. My highly calibrated homiletical instincts are telling you that no one came here today to listen uh, to me talk about accordion players or rosary prayers. So let me, let me uh, redirect us. I'm going to make a completely uncontroversial statement so we can begin. Human life begins at the moment of conception. Now, my sophisticated NPR listening friends don't like to hear me say it. But at least on this point, the science is absolutely settled. Consider, for example, the sworn testimony of Dr. Jerome Lejeune, the renowned geneticist who discovered the chromosome pattern of Down syndrome. Dr. Lejeune testifies, after fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come into being. This is no longer a matter of taste or opinion or a metaphysical contention. It is plain experimental science, close quote. 
This point is reinforced by Professor Micheline Matthews Roth, professor at Harvard University Medical School. She testified, it is incorrect to say that the biological data cannot be decisive. It is scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins at conception, close quote. The incarnation, the human life of the eternal Lagos, the Son of God, began at the moment of conception, at a specific time, on a specific day in history. God, the creator of all things, including the space-time continuum, entered the space-time continuum as a pre-born human being in the womb of a humble young woman in the middle of nowhere. Recall the sequence of events recorded by Luke. First, the angel delivers a startling and perplexing message to Mary, a virgin betrothed to a tecton, a carpenter builder. Quote, you shall conceive and shall give birth to a son and shall call him Jesus, Luke 1.31. This son, quote, shall be called the son of the most high, close quote. And the Lord God shall give him a kingdom without end. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. Next, Mary, miraculously pregnant, hastily visits a pregnant family member, Elizabeth. The baby in Elizabeth's womb was John, who one day would be called John the Baptist. Quote, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Luke 1.41, Elizabeth cried out, How is it that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For behold, when the greeting came into my ears, the baby in my womb leapt in joy. Luke 1.43-44, Elizabeth did not refer to Mary as the person who one day would give birth and thereby become the mother of her Lord. Jesus already was living within her. Jesus already was his, Jesus, she already was his mother. He already was the Lord. In response, Mary sings a prophetic hymn of profound gratitude. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon and seen the humble circumstances of his maid servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, this statement in the second stanza, for behold, from now on, all generations shall call me blessed, is decisive. The Greek here, apo tu noon, is typically used in the Gospel of Luke to indicate a significant and decisive change that has already taken place and because of which things will never be the same. The turning point in history began at the moment of conception when the eternal Logos became a temporal human being. Christians call this the Incarnation. The theological and anthropological implications of the Incarnation are mind-blowing and breath-taking.
In the next few minutes, I will focus on one specific subset of those implications. The love of God for human beings in time and eternity. It's a very small subject. The incarnation instantly and irrevocably altered the relationship between eternity and time. Paul tells us in Galatians 4.4 that in the fullness of time, in the person of Jesus, eternity entered time. To begin to unpack what this means, we need a quick primer towards a biblical theology of eternity and time. I can tell you all I know about eternity in less than two minutes. So start the clock. You have a timer on your watch, so let's go. I know for a fact that anybody who claims to understand eternity is a fool or a liar. That's what I know. I also know that God is eternal. Recall the amazing dialogue between Moses and the burning bush. The bush is trying to send Moses on a crazy mission. And Moses thinks to undertake that mission, it'd be good to know with whom he is speaking. From whom is he getting this directive? And so he asks the name of the voice speaking in the bush. And God said, quote, I am who I am. Tell the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Exodus 3.14. In Hebrew, the name is Yahweh. The name sets God apart from every person and thing because every person and everything is contingent, dependent, and finite, but God eternally is. Years after Moses encountered the bush, uh, he wrote a song because he was still so awestruck. In Psalm 90, Moses sings, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Psalm 92. God lives in the present tense. For God, there is no has been or will be. All temporal events are simultaneously experienced. Augustine prayed, and I think I have this prayer uh, for you as a in the sublimity of an eternity which is always in the present, all your years subsist in simultaneity. Your years are one day, and your day is not any and every day, but today, capital T, because your today does not yield to a tomorrow, nor did it follow on a yesterday. Your today, God, is eternity. God's eternity, therefore, must be distinguished from our idea and experience of time. Eternity is not simply a super long time or a time before or after time. God lives eternally in the present tense. Third, I know that God has wired us with a longing for eternity, specifically for eternal love, for love that lasts. Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has set eternity in the human heart. This longing has been described as being homesick for a home we have never seen. Or as C.S. Lewis puts it, quote, the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. 
Close quote. With that in mind, let's take some time to talk about time. And so I have a few points uh, here, seven uh, specific points. Each of these points is about two chapters uh, in a book I'm hoping to get out uh, in 2022. So I I will do a very uh, cursory job of making this explanation, but let's start with the fact that in the Greek language of the New Testament, within the New Testament writings, there are two words for time, chronos and kairos. The word chronos refers to time as we experience it, that relentless succession of seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries, millennia. Time that we kill and time that kills us. From which we get our words chronology, chronometer. Now kairos refers to the opportune time, that right time, that momentous moment. So next point. God has a creative purpose for time. God created time purposefully for one reason, so that in time, human beings could participate in his shalom through love. We are created to experience in time the loving eternal communion of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God in his eternity, God is eternally love. There is love within the Trinity. Every moment in eternity is filled with the love of the Trinity. And God's good idea for us is that we participate in that love. And that's the longing in the heart of the human being. So what could possibly go wrong? Next point. In communion with God, the chronos is the kairos, and the kairos is the chronos. This is what is described in Genesis. You see, in Genesis, time is a gift right? We have this poetic description of evening and morning, the first day, and we have this rhythm of rest uh, and work, and we have this sense of fullness and shalom, and this was God's creative purpose. And in the garden, before communion with God was ruptured and vandalized by rebellion and sin, There was no difference between the chronos and the kairos because every moment in the chronos was filled with the love of God. That's kairos. There was no disjunction. There was no disconnection. But Scripture tells us in Genesis 3, uh, 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 tells this story that human sin vandalized the shalom of creation and fractured our relationship with time. When Mick Jagger uh, sang on the Ed Sullivan Show uh, a few years ago, back in 1965, time is on my side. I watched that myself. I was right there with a bucket of chicken watching that happen. I, I figured out time and I are not on the same team. Time and I have an adversarial relationship. 
Yes, time's a gift or whatever, but time is what perpetually frustrates me. I, mean, I am a lawyer. I make my living selling my time in six-minute increments. I can show you stacks of timesheets for the last 30 years and meticulously outline how I have spent my time. And I have an adversarial relationship with time, and you probably do too. It's not the way it's supposed to be, but it is the way it is. This is due to our rebellion. Our, the, our disconnection from God results in this fact that now we're on the clock. We're on the clock. I mean, the clock's ticking right now. I've got like 25 minutes to preach this sermon, and the clock is ticking against me, and I'm frustrated by that. <clears throat> we are stuck in the chronos, and we're longing for the kairos of eternal, eternal communion. This is the longing of the human heart. Okay. Now, I've got one quote for this. It's one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, and that's like saying, you know, <laughs> I've got about a thousand favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, but this is in the rotation. Uh, in fact, this is the whole reason I wrote the book that I'm trying to get out in 2022 is how much this quote spoke to me. C.S. Lewis writes about our relationship with time. We are so little reconciled to time that we are even astonished at it. How he's grown, we exclaim. How time flies, as though the universal form of our experience were again and again a novelty. It is as strange as if a fish were repeatedly surprised at the wetness of water. And that would be strange indeed, unless, of course, the fish were destined to become one day a land animal. <clears throat> so God has revealed himself within time and space without ceasing to be eternal. The great I am who himself is eternal communion, pure kairos, takes chronos into himself. In his incarnate son, Jesus Christ, the eternal one takes on temporality. In creation, God gave time to us. In the incarnation, God has taken time for us. The incarnation initiates God's shalom restoration project by bringing Kronos back into communion with eternity. This is a profound mystery. Joseph Ratzinger, one of the great theologians of the 20th century who went on to become a pope, puts it well. He writes, Christ is himself the bridge between time and eternity. At first, it seems as if there can be no connection between the always of eternity and the flowing away of time. But now the eternal one himself has taken time to himself. In the Son, time coexists with eternity. In the Word incarnate who remains man forever, the presence of eternity with time becomes bodily and concrete. Jacques Ellul, one of the only sane French in public intellectuals of the 20th century, observes, God has answered our desire for eternity in Jesus Christ. Only he can gratify our desire since he is God incarnate, God with us, the eternal one in a human being. But this response to our desire doesn't come in some abstract generality or in heaven. The incarnation is a precise localized event. It took place at a given time, a time in history at a given time in my history. Thus, absolute time cuts across our relative 
times. The eternal Son of God became flesh and blood in time and space for a very specific purpose. God sent forth His Son to rescue us from our bondage to the hostile powers of the bogus world system, including sin and death, so that we as free people might receive the adoption as sons and be empowered by the intimate presence of the Spirit of His Son in our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father, Galatians 4.6. So the last point, the punchline as it were. Even as we wait for the full healing that comes with the new creation, we can get a taste of the kairos of communion here and now. But we have to take the time. We have to take the time. In the screw tape letters, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, often puts profound insights into the, uh, uh, into the uh, uh, mouth of Screwtape, who's not a good guy. But Screwtape makes an observation that's exactly right. C.S. Lewis, through his character Screwtape, uh, wrote this, quote, God wants people to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to that point of time which they call the present, capital P. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Here's the punchline. The right time for you to taste eternal love is always right now. So as usual, I've not properly managed my chronos. I've just got a couple of minutes to bring this home. Um, I'm going to give you two takeaways. Uh, We are called to communion in the present moment. I want to give you just a few practical words to uh, think about uh, to incorporate into a daily itinerary to prioritize uh, communion. And when I use the word communion here, I'm not talking about a specific uh, sacrament, although that sacrament is the paramount expression of the reality. Uh, By communion, I'm talking about what we're created for, which... uh, is a love between and among persons. That's what we're created for. Those persons including, of course, the person of God himself, the persons of the Trinity. So we are called to communion in the present moment. Here are your daily cues. This should, you could write this on every day in your calendar for this week. Three phrases. Get low. You should not allow a day to pass without taking a few moments to seriously consider what a ridiculous human being you are. Let's face it. You remember how Mary's song continues? We usually just talk about the first few verses there. It says, the mercy of God is from generation to generation and for a particular type of person. Those who fear God. 
And Mary talks about what this king will do. He's going to disrupt the power relationships in the bogus world system. And that includes using his strong arm. This is the language of holy war from the Hebrew scriptures. Using his strong arm to scatter those who are arrogant in the thoughts of their hearts. That's me every day. It might be you. So every day we need to realize a very basic point of reality. That God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the only proper response to that is to humble yourself every day. And make that, put that on your schedule. Put that on your calendar. Where you do an honest accounting of exactly where you stand. Apart from the grace of God. It's not to beat yourself up, but an honest assessment is necessary to avoid falling into that group of people to whom God is opposed. That's not where you want to be. So the basic point here is you cannot ride into the kingdom of God on a high horse. And so you shouldn't ever stay on a high horse once you realize you're on it. It's good to have a few candid friends in your life who know you well enough uh, and have the, uh, the courage and the fortitude to give you uh, some, some candid feedback in the moment. <clears throat> Occasionally, God might use a faithful wife to do that uh, in my life. Uh, recent, very recently. <laughs> it's so true. So get low, point number one. Uh, also available on Amazon, second greatest book ever written on humility. Get low. Check it out. All right. Second point. Uh, give thanks. This, is the, this flows naturally from an honest assessment of who we are. We shift, of course, to everything God has done for us, the incredible gift that he's given us, right, in his grace, in himself, God's gift of self to one such as me. God's gift to us of this beautiful planet, of that amazing sky, of something as awesome as a baby owl or whatever shows up on my, cute animal shows up on my YouTube feed next. What I'm trying to cultivate, and I make, just make it, I made a note for myself to do this every day is I use every opportunity, every stimulus that God presents to me to turn to Him in gratitude. I can do this all day long with anything. I can hear a Merle Haggard song and I thank God for music in general, and I work my way on down to the Bakersfield sound. I do a complete inventory of the history of country music, and I give thanks. Now, that may be something else for you. But everything should drive us to gratitude. Of course, even adversity. So, get low, give thanks, and gather together.
We can't. Uh, it's a fool's mission for most of us to aspire to real communion uh, by ourselves. You may have read about, you know, the, the, the desert uh, fathers and the dude who sat on the pole for like three years or whatever. You may think those people had a very good idea. That's not God's plan for your life. Yeah, thank God. The hemorrhoids, you know, for sure. So, so look, uh, one of the great gifts God has given us is each other. Now, well, look, some of us aren't all we're cracked up to be, but I mean, God, is, God is, will meet us in good conversations with real human beings. It's what you're created for. How does your schedule reflect that reality? Are you scheduling good conversations with good people? People who encourage, and people who need to be encouraged. So, so that's it. I mean, I'm trying to, as you think about how you're going to orient your day, three, just three ideas. There, there could be a lot more, but that's all I had that started with G. So, so uh, <clears throat> get low, give thanks, gather together. Now, uh, <clears throat> the communion comes with a commission. Because uh, the Great Commission here isn't just self-betterment. It's not... You know, it's not, the Great Commission is not your best life now. <clears throat> we do have a commission, though. It is an awesome uh, uh, privilege to be in on God's Shalom Restoration Project, to be entrusted oh, with uh, this good news and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to be surrounded by people who desperately need to hear the good news of God because they are stuck in the chronos, longing for the kairos of eternal communion, and they can't quite put their finger on it. And maybe you have something to say. But let's get it straight. Here's my coaching point for our commission. It is gulp and flow. Gulp and flow. My scriptural authority is what Jesus said at the last day of the great feast in John chapter 7, where Jesus stands up, and he was not one of the invited speakers uh, at that conference, but he nevertheless uh, uh, grabbed the mic, and he cried out, what did he say? If anyone is thirsty, let that person come to me and drink. For the person who believes in me from out of that person's innermost being will flow streams of living water. So if you try to fulfill the Great Commission without going first to Jesus and thirstily gulping from him, soaking in his love, filling yourself with his truth, submitting yourself to his power, then it's going to be an exercise in futility if you try to go out and, quote, change the world. But if you go to Jesus and you drink, if you're thirsty and you drink, and we're all thirsty. If you're not feeling thirsty right now, pray that you will know how thirsty you are so that you can go to Jesus every day 
and drink. Spend real time in his word, real time uh, in quietness, real time in prayer. And the promise is from out of you will flow this powerful good news, this living water. And of course, John interprets this and says, by this he was speaking of the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is here right now and available to you right now. Ready, willing, and able to empower those who want the communion of God's love to flow out of their lives in a winsome uh, witness to the kingdom of God. So my last coaching point is golden retriever. You know, here I have a picture of my handsome Harry. <clears throat> Here's what I've learned walking Harry through the godless heights. <laughs> you know, I, I, think we, I think I walk Harry every day up and down the blocks of what has to be the most secularized uh, uh, self-absorbed, self-confident uh, uh, neighborhood in our humble city. And uh, <clears throat> Harry loves everybody. And Harry's a winsome, enthusiastic love is a little bit contagious, right? It comes on, becomes a little strong to a smaller dog, right? <clears throat> but it's with love. So I've just, I've just started praying. <laughs> God, make me more like Harry, if you could. Make me a little more golden retriever and a little less junkyard dog today. Because my clients like me as a junkyard dog, but for the kingdom of God purposes, um, I'm really called to be a golden retriever. I'm called to be a person who just wants to love you. I get caught up uh, sometimes on making sure you understand uh, how right I am and how wrong you might not, how wrong you definitely are. Or in all of this, that's not what I'm called to. Those, those neighbors of mine who love my dog so much, maybe a little bit of that will rub off on me. Maybe I'll turn these into opportunities to, you know, make a friend or two uh, with my ultimate weapon of loving, uh, loving destruction there and uh, hairy, hairy wisdom. So anyway, that's, that's my last coaching point. If you want to insert another breed uh, in there, I'm not too dogmatic about that. So, uh, okay, uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for today. Uh, we, do, we do pray for those who uh, are hung up with this Omicron right now. God, get us through this. Uh, may we see those brothers and sisters uh, next week. Uh, we pray especially for the Cumbies and Langley today that she will uh, feel better. Uh, today. Uh, we thank you for the good news. Uh, may we be faithful agents uh, of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.